0: Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the revised common lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, as well as equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I'm Spiritual Formation Coordinator for Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. And my guest this week is Kristen Taylor. Kristen is uh, recent graduate uh, in a doctoral program in uh, composition and rhetoric and a uh, masterful uh, worker with language she also is on the preaching team at her local church and is uh, regularly studying the scriptures and opening them up for others she's a dear old friend and a poet and so a particularly fitting guest uh, as we begin our year in the psalms so we'll be spending a lot of time in the psalter this year and Hope to have her on the show quite a bit to bring her insights as a poet and student of poetry. So our text this week is Psalm 25. The lectionary, I think, just lists verses 1 through 10, but we ended up just uh, talking about the whole psalm, especially because it's an acrostic psalm, so it covers the whole alphabet. so. So we're looking at Psalm 25, Psalm 25. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you're enjoying the show, Hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show on to others so they may benefit as well. And lastly, if you'd like to support the show as well as receive some additional content, simply go to patreon.com slash fresh text to become one of our patron saints. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Kristen. All right, so let's uh, let's jump right in. Uh, we're looking at Psalm 25. I've got a uh, Robert Alter's translation of it from his translation of the Hebrew Bible. So I'll read this, and, uh, and then Kristen, you'll say a prayer for our conversation, and then we'll see where it goes. To you, O Lord, I lift my heart. My God, in you I trust. Let me not be shamed. Let my enemies not gloat over me. Yes, let all who hope in you be not shamed. Let the treacherous be shamed, empty-handed. Your ways, O Lord, inform me. Your paths instruct me. Lead me in your truth and instruct me. For you are the God of my rescue. In you do I hope every day. Recall your mercies, O Lord, and your kindnesses, they are forever. My youth's offenses and my crimes recall not. In your kindness recall me, you, for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he guides offenders on the way. He leads the lowly in justice and teaches the lowly his way. All the Lord's paths are kindness and truth for the keepers of his pact and his precepts. For the sake of your name, O Lord, may you forgive my crime, which is great. Whosoever the man who fears the Lord, he will guide him in the way he should choose. His life will repose in bounty, and his seed will inherit the earth. The Lord's counsel is for those who fear him. And his pact he makes known to them. My eyes at all times to the Lord, For he draws my feet from the net. Turn to me and grant me grace, For alone and afflicted am I. The distress of my heart has grown great, From my straits bring me out, See my affliction and suffering, and forgive all my offenses. See my enemies who are many, and with outrageous hatred despise me. Guard my life and save me. Let me not be shamed, for I shelter in you. May uprightness, wholeness preserve me, for in you do I hope. Redeem, O God, Israel, from all its straits.
1: Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful, complicated, sacred text of your word. Thank you for the opportunity to engage in this divine and intimate conversation with your word together um, with my brother, John. Lord, I pray that you would watch over this conversation, that you would touch our insight and our intuition, and that you would allow us to commune with you uh, today in your word. In your name, Jesus. Amen.
0: Amen. So what do you notice here, Kristen, in this psalm? What do you observe?
1: Well, first of all, it's just beautiful to hear you reading the psalms. And I was reminded of how really, you know, psalms are songs. They're poetry. And we often talk about, you know, as someone who's trained in creative writing, that poetry It has to be heard out loud, too. It it is, it's, I don't know if this is even a word. I'm just going to make it up extra linguistic. Like, it goes beyond language. It's about the way that it sounds as you're saying it. It's about the way the words feel in your mouth when you're saying those words. It's the way it looks on the page. All of that contributes to the meaning in poetry. And as it was just really beautiful to hear you read Psalm 25 and just feel it wash over me. And I was reminded again, I think... I think the Psalms demand that when we're engaging them. I think they demand, because they are poetry, to be heard out loud and to be experienced out loud. So that was the first thing that struck me, just listening to you. It was really beautiful.
0: Yeah, no, well, I can't wait to hear you read it as well as a reader of poetry. But you're talking about the the extra linguistic, the, the things outside of or alongside of language in the narrow sense of the word. Um, Mm -hmm. And I mean, for, for good or ill, Robert Alters translation, he tries as much as he can to ape some of the rhythms, you know, to try Mm -hmm. to have the, some of the original meter come through. So even Mm -hmm. if there's a better word choice in English Mm -hmm. to match the term, he's always going to pick a term that's closer in syllable count, for instance, right? So that you get the, the beats, um so there were a few sentences there in the translation I read today that might have not exactly sounded like English but <laughs> but they they <laughs> get, they tried to they they the feel was meant to be you know uh, and that spot on
1: That's so I love that insight because I think you, so when I was studying poetry we had to do a translation class a whole class in translation where we would take poems and translate them and There's so many issues that come up with translation. And I think just this conversation, I mean, this conversation, my brain's going in three different directions at once, really, especially when we're looking at Psalms and poetry and translating poetry. I mean, it really, it bears thinking about translation for the entire Bible, right? But but especially when we're looking at the Psalms and poetry, original poem, poems do so much work. As I said before, they're not just about the language, they're about the meter, they're about the rhyme, they're about the rhythm, they're about the way they look on the page. And when we start to try to translate that, I forget who it was that said, translation is an act of violence, right? You On the original text, you just, you can't keep it all. And so like you were saying, what's the name of the, the um, translator? Al- Alter,
0: Alter, A-L-T-E-R, Robert Alter.
1: We almost have to choose, like pick and choose what are the things we're going to preference in our translation from the original. So he's he, he's prioritizing and preferring the rhythm because there is meaning in that in the original, right? Like we think about what those original hearers heard or experienced when they heard the psalm. There would have been meaning in the rhythm and the cadence for them. Um, when I was doing a little bit of research on the psalms, I read – that it was originally an alphabetic acrostic. And so when I did my translation of it, I preferred or prioritized that form of an, of an alphabetic acrostic. But of course, I, I couldn't keep with the rhythm. I, well, first of all, I didn't know the rhythm or the meter of the original, but that's lost in it. There are other things that are lost too. So I don't know, that's where my thought ends on that. But just that the act of translation, there's so much in that original it's, it's really impossible in a single translation to capture everything that the psalm is doing on the page and beyond. Um, and when we do these translations, we, we're, we're forced to sort of enact a violence on it by picking one or the other. Are we going to do this? Are we going to do that? Are we going to highlight this? Are we going to highlight that?
0: No, that's that's really helpful just to say that you're always making a choice. It's not like um, there's the, the correct or perfect way to translate No, there's always costs and benefits of every translation choice. So, before we started recording, you mentioned how much you love the NLT, which I do too, especially in the Psalms, Hmm. because you know the NLT will often, and we may want to glance at it at some point for this uh, chapter. But just as a general pattern, the NLT Psalter, part of what's so that's New Living Translation for our listeners who might not. Know what NLT stands for, but the NLT its Psalter, tends to prefer concrete rather than abstract nouns, hmm. which is a good rule in poetry, right? So, like, yep. Uh, yep. So you know, and they're and in, from a certain point of view, Hebrew doesn't ancient Hebrew doesn't have really any abstract nouns at all. It just has concrete terms, and then yeah. if they're sometimes they're pluralized or yeah. given a an article the before it or something to make it a concept right mm-hmm, so like mm-hmm. you know there's no word humanity mm. like you know there's just adam the man right like and it's the same <laughs> name as the guy adam right it's all the one thing right so amazing and it just and and it's and it's comes from the word for dirt you know so you just you, you kind of have the dirt the dirt creature and like so there's all these like games or you think in older And King James Version leaned on the concrete, too, in its poetic sensibilities. So, you know, it's always talking about God's arm, right? And then things like NIV and NRSV, a lot of these translations make it abstract. They'll call it God's strength, right, or God's power, which is how you say that in Hebrew. So they're not wrong. It's actually more, in some ways, it's more applicable because it's more general, because metaphors are, are culturally specific Mm -hmm. but what i love in the nlt is they'll often do things like arm they'll 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 make it more they'll they'll take a take the chance Uh and make things real real concrete uh for the listener but of course there's like no meter rhythm at all like they Mm -hmm. totally like just they sacrifice that in order to make Mm -hmm. it pop you know so it's just you just have to make choices you know and you do yeah
1: and i think as a reader i mean it makes me think about the value of
0: Sorry about that. I paused That's it right. when I was meaning to mute it, mute me. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just paused everything. So we'll just, um, we'll cut that out and no worries. start over. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> the the other day when I was teaching on zoom, 100% shut off my entire computer right in the middle, like mid sentence.
0: <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Leave it in. Yeah. <laughs> That's good stuff. <laughs>
1: I was like, I, I turned my rebooted my computer, got back into the call. The students were just all sitting there, sort of bewildered, like,
0: "What? <laughs>
1: Where did the prof go?" I love it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, okay. What was it? Oh, yes. So, yes. Yeah, so the individual translators were making choices, but it makes me think as a reader you know, the efficacy of reading lots of different translations, because understanding it's, you know, every translation, every is going to bring us a new aspect of the original. And like, I think we don't need to fall into, to sort of the belief that only one translation is sacred, you know, and so that's the one we've got to stick with. Actually, I think if we think about translation, and we think about how that works, there's a real beauty and a benefit to accessing the wisdom of lots of different translations because each translator is going to make different choices that are going to highlight different things from the original and it actually could give us a fuller understanding i have a friend who has moved from nigeria here and she has the little the, the U version bible app on her phone and she was telling me that for her for her devotions every day, she, you know, how you version will give you this, the verse every day. She'll read like three or four different translations of that verse, which is an amazing benefit of technology. And then based on reading all those different versions, she'll write down her thoughts, what stands out at her, and her prayers. And um, I really think she's onto something with engaging the original text. This makes me think about, too, I have a student who is a Muslim Palestinian American. And we're discussing in one of my classes the post colonialism and the ways that the Bible and Jesus have been used to, um, to prop colonial, um, agendas, colonialist agendas. And so I had asked the students if you had to explain to someone, you know, who says, Oh, I could never follow Jesus. I could never be a Christian because of the way that colonialism uses the Bible and uses Christianity, what would you say to them? And we were doing some reading uh, from Mark Charles' wonderful book, Unsettling Truths. And uh, it was just so fascinating to hear the student talk about their approach to holy scripture. Uh, Because for Muslims, the Quran, they don't believe in interpretations. I didn't realize this. I've just learned this in the last couple of weeks. Because for them, as soon as the human touches the script and changes it, it's no longer sacred, it's corrupted. So they're reading the Quran in the original language always. So they actually don't believe in our Bible not because it's they don't believe that the original texts aren't sacred. They believe the original texts are sacred, but they don't believe in our Bible because it's been translated. It's been interpreted and therefore it's corrupted and it's no longer sacred, which I think is such an interesting I mean that's one way to approach, you know what I mean, text and interpretation and translation. I mean it's a really it's a really interesting conversation I think.
0: I love that you bring that up. This is, this is such a lovely, I mean, this is actually the first episode in our long now series will be in the book of Psalms. So this is like a lovely, like preface to the whole, you know, mm-hmm. of our work in the Psalms after a break here in a moment, we'll, we'll dig into this specific Psalm, but uh, I, I, I think this is really helpful. And I love that you mentioned that because I think uh, historically there's a lot uh, of overlap and there's an inner, intertwined history between Christianity and Islam with regard to the doctrine of inspiration and the notion of an inspired text. That's a, you know, a shared idea, an overlapping idea. But on this translation question is actually one of the fundamental differences between our, um, faiths. Cause translations built into Christianity from the beginning. I mean, the words of our savior and Lord are not in the language that he said them in. Like Jesus didn't speak Greek on a, in a boat in Galilee. He was speaking Aramaic.
1: And when you say it like right. that. Yeah. So like, we're,
0: we're stuck. Yeah. We're stuck with translation. We're already in translation. Right. Our holy text is already in two and a half, uh, languages, mainly Hebrew and Greek, but with some Aramaic and, um, other things mixed in there. And so, I mean, we're just kind of, so like we kind of, you and I, in our love of language and especially of poetic language, are I think rightly so here at the beginning, sort of extolling the untranslatability, you know, the all the the you know, and I think I'm glad we do. But then to kind of come down and realize that, well boy, but this is the way it is. We're we are always experiencing the text at a remove. Mm-hmm. Even when we go back to study it, we're we're always kind of something's kind of the the whole lost in translation is part of the experience of revelation mm. in mm. a Christian understanding, mm-hmm. which when you pause and think about it may have something to do with the belief in the incarnation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so like translation is <laughs> kind of built in uh, to the whole thing, right? Even God's <sighs> own self-revelation in Christ is not mm. unmediated, mm. right? We don't have a sort of naked encounter with God. It's God mm. via flesh. And that's not meant as a, at least at this moment, as some sort of like, you know, triumphant criticism of Islam, just a recognition of a difference, of, yeah. a, of a significant difference.
1: Well, and that's so beautiful. And I think it is, right, I think that brings this conversation about translation full circle, that we don't need to be afraid of it, right? right? Because right. yes, there are legitimate limitations to it, but- there have always been legitimate limitations in our relationship with God on our end, right? And I think the beauty of the holy scriptures is that this, the story of how God has met us where we are, right? Like we cannot translate. And yet God came in to our sphere. He translated himself for us in the Bingo. person of yeah. Jesus, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so we wow. don't have to be afraid of, right? Like that our limitations when we're coming to the text with trying to translate it. I think, and then Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit, right? And I think that's to be able to continue to communicate even through our limited translations. I think that is a really beautiful offering. Like you said, it's not an indictment of necessarily the way Islam would treat the text, but I think it's a really beautiful, like you said, offering that we can stand in as Christians who are embracing the incarnation,
0: yeah, and the limits that are in that translation is just part of our humility. So, so well, with, uh, with humility and with no fear, <laughs> so boldness, let's take a break and then come back and, and talk about uh, Psalm 25 itself. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Kristen Taylor. And we're looking at Psalm uh, 25. Uh, Kristen, like last time you prepared a, a poem that was kind of, you know, sort of translating, riffing off, putting in your own words, the text that's before us. Um, would you be willing to read that for us? Because it, it actually works almost as a paraphrase of the text. And then we can kind of talk about that and the text itself for the, for the next couple minutes.
1: Yes, absolutely. So like I said before, I was trying to reclaim the structure, the structure, the original structural um choices of the Psalter. So the it's a it's supposed to be an alf- alphabetic acrostic. So this might be lost actually I realize now on on a listening audience because they can't see the way that the poem is lining up with our alphabet. So here's the first choice. It's lining up with our alphabet, not the Hebrew alphabet.
0: Which has a different amount of letters. So you're not gonna get the Z. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Exactly. And I was trying to pay attention to because it's not apparent when I look at it in my English translation where the Hebrew necessarily where the Hebrew letters are starting. So I was making a good guess, and I'm pretty sure it's every time if you look at like if you look at the Psalms, wherever it's left justified, I'm assuming that is the Hebrew, the next Hebrew letter. So I was trying to follow that. Um, as you mentioned before, there's, there's embedded in this, there's a rhythm, there's a meter to it, but I, I couldn't ca- capture that. So really what I was looking at was what is the, for me, the ma- main idea, yeah, the main idea, because not even image, because sometimes the image had to change in order to fit the alphabetic acrostic. But I was trying to capture the main idea of each letter in following the English alphabet. Also, we can talk about this afterwards. So many things had to change in terms of who's being spoken to, spoken at, being sp- where the, the narrator is situated. All of that had to change, again, because I was trying to match the alphabet. So here we go. Psalms 25, 1 through 10. Ascend my soul to your Lord, then lean back in His presence. Beautiful one, as I rest in your presence, shelter me from the slow burn of shame from the taunts of my bullies. Covered are we who wing like swallows to your majestic branches. Down on the ground, those who beat back your shade wither under the scorch of day. Every way opens before me, O Lord, teach me how to walk your paths. Find me at the trailhead and guide me in your truth, for you are every blaze pointing the way home. Grant me your cool water, your down feathers, O Lord, for they are from old, ancient ones sent to hide the sins of my youth and my defiant ways from your memory. Let your new memory of me be colored by your love and goodness. Integris is the Lord. And his integrity teaches those who are fractured how to be whole. Just as a lover places their hand on their beloved's lower back, Yahweh guides the dirt dwellers into his abode. Know this, every path the Lord asks us to walk is seeded with love and faithfulness for those who keep putting one foot in front of the other. So that's to verse 10.
0: Oh, that's lovely. That's lovely. Was, uh, know this, was that verse 10? Uh, yes All right. it just just you know just for funny just yes. for funsies that's the k in in the, in the Hebrew. so <laughs> so that worked out oh at least. really yeah, yeah. yes <laughs> yes
1: <laughs> awesome
0: because it's about the same spot yeah 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 <laughs> i just thought i'd mention it so that's the i mean it's it's yeah oh wow well, that was awesome. Well, okay. So let's just talk about some word choices if we can. Yeah. So what's fun with the acrostic that's here in the original, and it's 22 verses. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So boom, it's pretty much lines up with the verse with yeah. one exception. Um, like you said, left justified, which I think links up with the verse numbers in most cases. So one great one was, let's see, it was verse 8. Verse eight, you said integris, right?
1: Yeah. Which I I hate that word for poem. Like I, yeah. We talk about concrete nouns versus abstract nouns. Like for poetry, a word like integritus. Like if I if you were a student and you tried to put that word in a poem for me, I would tell you to how do you make this concrete?
0: (laughs) How do you make it tangible?
1: But again, I'm submitting to the structure, right? Like I'm making choices based on the structure here.
0: Well, what's fun is you bump into like two things with that choice. This is what's fun. An acrostic forces, and I'm sure it forced the author to find synonyms, right? Just right. like a rhyming scheme, which is not very common in Hebrew, forces us, you know, like a, like a rhyming dictionary is 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 often like, you know, other words that... Sound, but as a, the rhyming dictionary goes with a thesaurus really well, right? We're trying to find that right word. And, and integrity is honestly a, actually pretty good translation of yasar. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, cause upright is what a lot of older translations would have. Yeah. But What does that mean? Do you know what I mean? That's not a very, that's not a modern word. Uh, right. so actually integrity is pretty good. Uh, and you also, because you were trying to, I'm just, Having fun now, but like because you were wanting to make the acrostic work, right? You put the noun, you know, instead of saying the Lord is integris, uh-huh.
1: which actually I-, integris I don't think
0: is the Lord.
1: I don't actually I don't, think integris is a real word. We need to look that up. I actually oh, don't yeah. think integris is a real word, so that's another choice. I'm like, well, I don't think this is a real word, but I'm going to put it. I'm going to use it. So sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go well, ahead.
0: that's something that poetry does, though, doesn't it? <laughs> it has the room
1: to do that. Yeah.
0: And that's why the translation variation is really wide in the Psalms, because there's a lot of ways to take some of these phrases and things that appear as whole phrases are often just one word mm-hmm. in the Hebrew without much of a clue of what to do with it. Uh, so is it an adjective? Is it a noun? What's it doing there? You know, <laughs> but in the original, the, the noun there is the first word. So it's, it says, you know, Tov va yesar Adonai. Yesar so mm-hmm. it's good and upright, the Lord. There's no, there's no is. It's just, it's just assumed. Which, of course, you can also leave out in poetry sometimes, right? um, As you did, where you just dropped some, you know, dropped some ands and some Mm ises that you didn't need. Um, Yeah.
1: Right. We don't put article. The fewer the articles, the better in poetry.
0: Ah, is that a general rule in English poetry? At least, well, yeah,
1: because articles make it Hebrew poetry is also
0: very yeah Hebrew poetry is also very sparse. Not a lot of excess. Mm. Yeah.
1: That's so interesting to yeah. This so this makes me think also about how you're saying the original I, I hadn't considered the original Psalter writing this and trying to submit themselves to the structure, right? And so that was dictating the choices they were making.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And it almost makes me think maybe a spiritual practice could be everybody try to translate a psalm in your personal devotion times because the the experience of trying to fit the structure is also teaching me something about God. Like it makes me think about what it, sometimes my my 14 year old has a hard time falling asleep at night. And one time I remember someone had taught me this that like a way to help yourself fall asleep is try to go through the alphabet and say an adjective for God for each letter of the alphabet. And hopefully you fall asleep by the time you get to Z. But that constriction, right? Like forces you to be creative, forces you to go further than you would go in thinking about God and, um, and to push out a little bit further from the comfort zone of language or whatever, or or the way that you're thinking about God. And, um, and I just think about how the original Psalter was also submitting themselves to that process and pushing themselves to, and when you're, when you're forced to do that, yeah, you start to, the language leads you in a direction maybe you wouldn't have gone. The structure leads you in a direction you wouldn't have gone before when you're thinking about the nature of God or characteristics of God, which are all true. So anyway, I just, it might be a neat like devotional practice for people to try to translate a psalm for themselves and see what it brings up for them.
0: No, I love it. I, I definitely would recommend it, playing with it and playing with different possibilities. At the very least, it gets you to slow down right? And then you notice things that you wouldn't have noticed otherwise. Yeah. So let's take a pause now and just see, riffing off that, what are some other things that you noticed in the original text that, whether that inspired something uh, in your own rendition or not? What are just some other things that as you've slowed down and spent time with this psalm, any particular lines you'd like to zoom in on? We can't expect to digest the whole
1: well I was really I really loved the actually the original language of verse 6 Remember O Lord your great mercy and love for they are from of old I love that phrase from of old and I kept that from old in my translation Can you tell me like what is what is the original language there
0: Yeah let's let's give it a let's give it a shot so I'll just do the whole line this will be very bad <laughs> In terms of pronunciation, but so, uh, Zakor. So we'll just start and, well, I'll, I'll keep my commentary. I'll read the whole thing, then we'll comment. Okay. So Zakor rachameka, aronai Vaha Ki Meolam Hema. So, um, Zakor is, is remember. So again, I mean, that's like, that's a very common. Thing to ask god to do it like this word appears i just clicked it's like 230 times so that that's a that's a that's a ready-made one although it is the next letter Z, so it's the it's zion it's the letter so he had to do something with that started with that letter and then your tender mercies or other words that could be used there what are we looking at six yeah yes. mercies great okay. mercy
1: is what the niv says
0: yeah and then and and another thing to li- to remember in the next kind of line would be, so we had we had Chesed, that famous word that you probably heard before. Chesed, God's, it's translated love, loving kindness, faithfulness, mm-hmm. covenant faithfulness, steadfast love. All of these translations. It's the mm-hmm. you know your love endures forever. That repeated one in the, a later mm-hmm. psalm is is that. It's the Chesed of God. And it'd be a perfect thing to ask God to remember because it's, it means you, you made a commitment to be, to be in covenant with us. Remember it. And, you know, remember that you made this commitment to us. You know what I mean? Like, don't forget, like, don't back out. You, you bound our but you bound yourself to us. Please keep being bound to us as Mm. it were. Right. Mm. Which then might help then with the phrase that you were curious about, which is the, the key me'olam. Let me pull that. Let me make sure I'm saying it right. Yeah. Ki met Olam. So he is, is for, for they are of old, I think was yes. your NIV for they are of old. Uh-huh. They are from of old. What, what do you have?
1: Yeah. They are from of old.
0: They are from of old. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, that's mm-hmm. very precise. Yeah. So for, and then met Olam. So Olam is that you've, this word appears all the time. It's translated sometimes eternity. Mm. Uh it could mean ages. Mm. So it could be ages past, ages future. So if it's if if you had a you know if you had let olam then it'd be to to the ages, so future, right? Oh. But it's olam from the ages, from mm. the old times, from way back. So that, beautiful. That and that trigger that's, right? Yes. So then they are the last for the last word hema is just the plural they are.
1: So, the connection I'm making here is the great mercies and love is is speaking of the covenant that he made ages ago, right? Because they're from ages ago. Bingo. Love and, Bingo. Yeah.
0: Bingo. So eter- and it could be eternity past. It could be saying not merely way back with Moses, mm-hmm. but oh, all the way back to Abraham. And heck, even that was rooted in your eternal right. you know, decision to select this one nation.
1: And this yep. is where I feel that English really falls short because the word love for us is so overused and shallow in the English language. You know, they often talk about in different cultures, the more experience they have with a thing, the more words they have for. So like up in the Inuit cultures in Northern, you know, Northern territories of Canada, there are lots of words for snow because they have lots of different kinds of snow. I feel that that's very telling when you think about English, we have the same word love for, I love my hamburger. I love my husband. I love my clothes. I love your insights, right? Like it, it speaks to sort of <laughs> a very thin experience of love in terms of the way that our language tries to capture that. I also think about the word God. I just was encountering, was reading this first, the first nation's version translation of the New Testament. And they very deliberately don't use the word God because they say it's, it's just sort of like a placeholder. It's, you know, from Latin or Roman or wherever it came from, Greek, uh, that just means deity.
0: German, uh, Gott. <laughs> G-O-T-T, okay. right? Okay, Gott. Yeah. yes.
1: And it's used for lots of different deities. Uh, so mm-hmm. in the First Nations version, when they, again, talking about translation, when they say God, they say the great mystery, the creator, the great spirit, right? Because it, rather than just being a placeholder, they're really actually trying to name. Um, anyway, so this makes me think of love. I think in some ways, love has become a, uh, a placeholder, sort of empty brackets in English. And I wish that, there was a way in english to translate that better that concept of like this ancient covenant that's from of old you know and shaded by love rooted in love embodied by love right so
0: no that's beautiful uh I, yeah I, I i'm pausing now to think what might be a good yeah you remember so remember your i like kindness hmm. i think kindness says something uh, remember, but also remind, remember your, your binding. Honestly, I think the oh. binding is a helpful mem to say, you know, you know, remember that you've bound yourself with us as it were. Remember your binding and, and a quick, quick tweak on what I said that was not entirely accurate. I said that Me'olam would be from of old, but met, which is just a pre- prefix, it could mean just in And so it, it might be from of old, but I I notice altar actually says, recall, here's six in altars, recall your mercies, O Lord, and your kindnesses, they are forever. Mm. And well, one clever choice he made there is he just puts a dash instead of saying for they are forever, because again, in Hebrew, that you can just practically use key for almost anything. It almost is like a dash there's cause there's no, there's no uh, punctuation at all in ancient Hebrew. It's just all a bunch of letters. And so sometimes you, you use words. That's like, you think of the old King James is like, it says, and like every sentence it's cause <laughs> it's cause it's cause va is just how you start a sentence. It's practically punctuation. You know, you just stick it on the front of a word. It's not even a separate word. It's just an extra letter at the beginning. Um, and this, and this, and this, and this, um, and God said, and God this, and you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. You could just put period. God said, you know, like, like, right. So right. Um, so the, he made a similar choice here to say your kindnesses dash they are forever. So the the language of olam of ages it goes both directions. So you mm-hmm. could think of this as a it's ambiguous is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Again, that's what and the ambiguous may be intentional in the in the because both kinds of ages matter, right? So. Mm-hmm. Your, well, you've bound yourself to us in the past. Remember that. Or remember it because we know you're planning on doing this forever. So yes. it, it points both ways. Go ahead. What were you going to say?
1: Well, and the be- the other thing, the beauty of this, just hearing you speak the original language, even though you say your your pronunciation is off, poetry is about the sounds. The sounds carry meaning too. So I really love that. And actually, I'd love it if you'd read it again, just to let that let those sounds – carry the meaning too for, you know, this is what the original hearers would have heard. So we talk about that word olam means the ages. And if you just stop and say the word olam, olam, it stretches backwards and forwards, right? Olam, it goes backwards nice. and forwards, right? So the meaning captures, the, the sound captures the meaning of ages. It could be ages back. It could be ages forward. Olam. It almost sounds like a chant, right? It's beautiful. I love it. Those are the things that are lost in translation um, that we can't necessarily feel in our bodies like the original hearers would have, have heard. Olam. Ages.
0: No, I think that's spot on. And I think, I mean, you don't want to turn you know, in a kind of preaching, teaching, praying setting, you know, you don't want to turn it into a language lesson, but at the same time, I think sometimes we're too afraid in preaching, teaching, praying settings to just introduce one word. You can introduce a word, especially if you're going to sing it or hum it. So, you know, Olam, you know, you could teach that. You could teach Olam and tell people a little bit about the word and Make the point that you just said. It stretches back and forward, which is so we, when we call out to God, we're making, always making an appeal to the deep past Mm. long before we were on the scene when God committed God's self to be there for us and include us in his family. And we're also making an appeal to his ongoing future long after we're off the face of the earth that he will continue to be the one he's claimed to be.
1: Amen. And we're just asking
0: that we would be, you know, caught up in that and preserved in that in accordance with his his kindness, his mercy, his abide his his binding, you know.
1: I love that too. I like that that verb. You're binding, turning it into a noun. Yeah, binding. He's bound himself to us. Don't forget.
0: Don't forget. And we know you won't. Don't yes. forget because we know you won't. <laughs> That's right.
1: Oh, I love it.
0: Well, let's take a quick break and then just come back and explore. Um, some sermon and or prayer starters. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, uh, Kristen Taylor, and we're looking at Psalm 25.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: here in this last segment, we usually call it exploring sermon starters, and maybe that's where we'll go. But this year, we're turning to the Psalms, and of course, the Psalms can be and and should be preached. But first and foremost, Psalms are meant to be sung and to be prayed. Um, so this conversation can really go wherever we want to, wherever you want to take it. I'm I don't have an agenda today. Let me just read Psalm 25 real quick. In we we were we were talking about New Living Translation, so let me just put that on the table so that we have one one more version, and then I'll kick it to you, Kristen, and see if you have any thoughts about applying this and expressing this in our lives and ministry. So here goes. Oh, Lord, I give my life to you. I trust in you, my God. Do not let me be disgraced or let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. No one who trusts in you will ever be disgraced, but disgrace comes to those who try to deceive others. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you're the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and unfailing love, which you have shown from long ages past. Do not remember the rebellious sins of my youth. Remember me in the light of your unfailing love. For you are merciful, O Lord. The Lord is good and does what is right. He shows the proper path to those who go astray. He leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his way. The Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness, all who keep his covenant and obey his demands. For the honor of your name, O Lord, forgive my many, many sins. Who are those who fear the Lord? He will show them the path they should choose. They will live in prosperity, and their children will inherit the land. The Lord is a friend to those who fear Him. He teaches them His covenant. My eyes are always on the Lord, for He rescues me from the traps of my enemies. Turn to me and have mercy, for I am alone and in deep distress. My problems go from bad to worse. O oh, save me from them all. Feel my pain and see my trouble. Forgive all my sins. See how many enemies I have and how viciously they hate me. Protect me. Rescue my life from them. Do not let me be disgraced, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and honesty protect me, for I put my hope in you. O oh God, ransom Israel from all its troubles. Glory be to the Father and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was at the beginning, is now and ever shall be. Amen. Amen.
1: Yeah. So thinking about sermon starters and prayer starters, I actually want to pick a little bone with you. Is that how you say that word? <laughs> That's what you
0: say. I have no idea. I have a bone to pick with you. That's what it is. I have a bone
1: to pick with you. <laughs> <laughs> and that is your comment that um we don't want to do a language study for every sermon because as far as i'm concerned as someone who's trained in rhetoric i think every sermon should be a language study of course i don't think everyone has the appetite for that but for i just language is it's a living organic moving breathing thing the only way we can interact through the te- with the text is through language so uh i i almost feel like uh yeah you can just every single just go through every single verse and make it all a language study <laughs> Every sermon.
0: Yeah. So I guess I'm just wanting to put a cap on like how many word studies I have to listen to from a preacher, right? You know, eight might be a lot in a sermon, but no, but I'm with you. I love, especially in the Psalms, like just loving the language is actually part of our task, I think, Mm -hmm. as preachers and teachers and those who lead in worship is if we don't love the language of scripture, especially if we don't love the language of the Psalms, Mm -hmm. it will show. And Mm. whereas if we do, it draws people in, you know, because people, it's a, you can have a contagious enjoyment and delight of the language of it all.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's what you and I both know as as professors and teachers is that what we teach our students more than the content is an enjoyment of the content. Like I think about my whole Dr. Mary Brown, the woman who made me fall in love with writing as my professor, she didn't just teach me poetry. She taught me to love poetry. That's actually what, because she loved it so much. She enjoyed it. And it was seeing that enjoyment in her that really lit a fire in me. And I mean, I think that's the whole basis of um, testimony, right? We share our love and it catches fire with other people.
0: Yeah, that's right. So using that that thought of testimony, Kristen uh, what would you like to testify to if you were called upon to you know share a word, whether it's preaching, teaching, praying, whatever it might be, what would you want to testify to in terms of what moved you in this text
1: yeah, I would I think if I were preaching a sermon on this. Psalm. I would share the story about my daughter and I having a hard time falling asleep at night and how we use every letter of the alphabet to describe a different aspect of God. And I would set up a a comparison to what the Psalter is doing in the Psalms. And I would invite, I'd want to invite reflection on what does it teach us about the nature of God that he can embody the entire alphabet, Right.
0: Oh, and has something to do with Olam, right?
1: <laughs> olam, yes!
0: <laughs> From beginning to end, right?
1: Oh, yes. And, and we already talk about this. You know, God refers to himself as the Alpha and the Omega, right? The beginning and the end. And Alpha and Omega are the Greek alphabet, right? The yeah, first A and
0: last letter. Yep.
1: Right? And so this is just falling in line with that sort of think th- th- that, that, that way of ordering our thoughts about God um, that he invites us to use this thing. And again, we we're talking about language and sort of teasing about, you know, language studies and the alphabet. But he invites us to use the alphabet as a way of encountering his omnipotence, his wholeness, his from beginning to endness, right? His completeness. And we in our little human, you know, we, again, looping back to the beginning, we talk about our limitations as humans and in translation, we are limited by this alphabet, right? Like this, this is we're li- this is the the tools, the building blocks we have grabbed for ourselves to construct language, and it is vast and it's amazing. But not even that is enough to really hold a full description of who God is. So, I think I would really direct us as a congregation to reflect on that and the choices, the structural choices made by this psalter here. What that's incur- inviting us into in terms of reflecting on. Um, the nature of God.
0: I love that playing with the alphabet as a kind of just really, and it's very, it's a very Psalter way of doing things to kind of say, to pay attention to the form and have that teach us something, not merely the content because content wise, most of these ideas can be found in, in narratives and in prophecies and laws, you know, but this is its poetic form, which invites a different kind of a more meditative contemplative response so I don't know, I, I want to put you on the spot, Kristen, maybe we can do I mean, let's let's just end by doing an alphabet uh, uh, al- alphabetical attributes together, we could just go back and forth. Maybe I love like it. ABC that way. And we'll end with that. I love and it. So I know you've said this is about going to sleep, but uh, we'll, we'll maybe do it in a way that isn't as sleepy. Just for <laughs> those, For those of our listeners who might be doing this, like, you know, while doing dishes or uh, driving in a car, that we don't want them to fall asleep, but so <laughs> yes, with gusto. No. <laughs> yeah, you <we> want to <laughs> start or do I want to start?
1: Sure, I'll start. A, awesome.:
0: God is awesome. OK. God is beautiful.
1: God is creator.
0: God is determined.
1: Mm-hmm. God is effervescent.
0: <laughs> God is free.
1: Mm. God is good
0: God is holy Mm
1: -hmm. God is integrous (laughs) I saw it coming (laughs) Also asterisk may not be a word
0: (laughs) God is jealous Mm -hmm.
1: God is knowing
0: God is love
1: God is magnificent
0: God is not a thing.
1: Ah, nice.
0: Not nothing, but not a thing. Yeah.
1: That's cool. I like that wordplay. God is omnipotent.
0: And then we could just camp out on O if we wanted for a while, the (laughs) omnis, but omnipotent.
1: Maybe, yeah. God is omni.
0: (laughs) God is perfect.
1: God is
0: quiescent. Nice. Yeah. a (laughs) What's quiescent mean? I actually don't know. I
1: I think I probably could have said quiet, embodying quietness.
0: (laughs) It's just a long way to say quiet.
1: (laughs) God is quiet. But he's not but he's not quiet. He's just Per se se. it
0: it found it sounded poetically it sounded great.
1: There you go. It's all about the poetry.
0: God is redeemer.
1: God is sovereign.
0: God is true. Mm-hmm.
1: God is unending.
0: God is, I'm on V, right?
1: Mm-hmm. I see X coming down the pike and I'm wondering who's got it. Go ahead. V. I
0: think it might be you. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can cheat. Huh? Uh, God is voluminous.
1: Mm, I like that. God is Usually I'm asleep by this point. I don't usually get this far down the alphabet. W. <laughs> God is worthy.
0: Worthy, nice. Oh, I've got X. Mhm. God is uh
1: Is there Zen- a Hebrew word that starts with X?
0: No, but there's Greek-based English words like xenophilic. So not, a, not xenophobic, but xenophilic. He loves strangers, I neighbors, love immigrants. There you go. So. Yes.
1: Oh, okay, perfect. I'm glad you got X. Yeah, because you made that really significant.
0: <laughs>
1: Mine would have just been like a joke. X, Y. Um, God is – oh, I'm feeling stumped. Do you have any ideas?
0: Oh, man. Yeah.
1: Yahweh. God is Yahweh. There you go. There you go. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, if you're going to use a Hebrew word, I'll use a German one at the end then. God is Zeitmas. God Uh, is timely. Timely.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But also Zeitlos. Timeless. (laughs) (gasps) That's beautiful. I love it. So good. that,
0: That was a lovely way to end. Um, I had a great time with you today. I hope I'm sure our listeners did. I have no doubt about that. So so thanks to you for the time you gave. Thanks to uh, Todd for his uh, production work and Eric for helping get this started. I uh, can't imagine doing this without you guys. Uh, thanks to uh, Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. Thanks to all our listeners, but especially our patron saints who support the show. If you want to become a patron saint, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text and see ways that you can uh, support what we're doing here. And uh, otherwise, just get the word out about what we're doing. And with that, we say, have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.
1: Bye. Thank you.